Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're going to continue with our historical mentor series, and I'm really excited to share with you about Betsy Ten Boom. I've talked a lot about Corey Ten Boom, her sister, on this podcast. Betsy has also had such a tremendous impact on my life, and she's a little bit lesser known than Corey. So we're going to go through some just stories from her life that have really impacted me, and I believe they'll really be a blessing to you as well. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that you can register now for our 2024 Set Apart Conference in Colorado or anywhere you are via simulcast. Just go to setapart.org or click the link in this podcast description. That's happening in early June 2024. And you can also join us next year at Ellerslie for a five-week or a week-long discipleship training program. So we'd really encourage you to make plans now because those programs do tend to fill up really quickly. You can click the link in this podcast description or you can go to ellerslie.com for more info. We'd love to see you in Colorado next year and invest into your spiritual life. Let's talk about the life of Betsy Ten Boom. She was really such an amazing woman of God and just her quiet trust in her heavenly father and the way that she lived that out has challenged me and convicted me and blessed me time and time again. One thing that she said to her sister, Corey, that I feel like really captures the theme of her life is this. Happiness isn't something that depends on our surroundings. It's something we make inside ourselves. And she really lived that out. She had such a genuine, close relationship with Jesus Christ that she emanated happiness even in the darkest of circumstances. One of the things I love about her is that she knew how to create beauty and hospitality and bless others no matter where she was. And she had always had a special gift for creating beauty and blessing others. Even though her family didn't really have a lot of money, through the years, Betsy always managed to add this sparkle of loveliness and warmth to every room in their house. And you can read about that in the book, The Hiding Place, as Corey described how Betsy just brought life and beauty everywhere she went. And friends and strangers who came into their home always felt this calming sense of order and peace and hospitality whenever they visited. Most of that was because of Betsy's efforts. And then when she and her family were arrested by the Nazis for helping Jews during the Second World War, she and Corey were placed into prison in Holland for several months before they were transferred to a German concentration camp. And so this house that she had always made so beautiful and always welcomed so many people to the table and blessed other people and created beauty all around her, put fresh flowers in the windowsills and things like that, that house was just sitting empty and dark and she didn't have that place to create beauty and hospitality. They were separated in prison, and for a long time, Corey wondered how Betsy was doing in prison. It was gray. It was drab. There was no life, no beauty, no color. And she said Betsy had always loved color and flowers and beautiful things. How was she handling that lifeless gray prison cell where she was now confined. And one day, Corey was taken through a hallway of that prison, and she was able to catch a glimpse of the cell where Betsy was staying. And the way she described it has really stood out to me over the years because most of us wouldn't think of a prison cell being a place of beauty. But this is what Corey said. Unbelievably, against all logic, the cell was charming. The straw pallets were rolled instead of piled in a heap, standing like little pillars among the walls, each with a lady's hat atop it. A headscarf had somehow been hung on the wall. The contents of several food packages were arranged on a small shelf. Even the coats hanging on their hooks were part of the welcome of that room, each sleeve draped over the shoulder of the coat next to it like a row of dancing children. 
Isn't that amazing? She took what little she had in that prison cell with other women who were also suffering, and she created a place of peace and beauty and hospitality. Her example of creating beauty and order in such a drab prison cell where there was so much hopelessness and suffering is such a powerful reminder that when our soul is rightly ordered, anchored in Christ, our outward life reflects the same no matter what our circumstances are. So whether we are in a dark, cold prison cell or a crowded dorm room or a dingy apartment or a comfortable home, it's so amazing to realize that any place we find ourselves can become a sanctuary peace when the Spirit of Christ is there, when He is the guest of honor. I've noticed that a lot of modern Christianity could be defined by the phrase spiritualized chaos. Whether it's in our spiritual lives, our emotional lives, or even our physical lives, disorder is often accepted, welcomed, and applauded, kind of like embrace the mess, that type of attitude. And that's such a different picture from this joyful peace and heavenly loveliness that we see in Bessie Ten Boom's prison cell. She had every reason, circumstantially speaking, to let frustration, anger, defeat, depression, and chaos rule in her soul and in her outward environment. Yet she chose a different pattern. She chose God's pattern. She allowed the light, joy, peace, and order of Jesus Christ to transform her from the inside out, and it affected everything about her life, from her countenance to her words to the very atmosphere of beauty that she created in her prison cell. Now, creating beauty and hospitality according to the heavenly pattern is different than the worldly self-focused perfectionism where we stress about how organized our closet is or how perfectly coordinated our outfits are. You see a lot of that in our culture today, but this is something very different. It's a joyful yielding to God's spirit. allowing his beauty and peace and loveliness and order and hospitality to shine through our lives even when our circumstances are difficult or frustrating. When we surrender our lives completely to him, every aspect of our lifestyle will begin to reflect who he is like Betsy's did. All we need to do is look outside to realize that God loves order and beauty. Chaos is not something that he cultivates or celebrates either in his creation or in his word. That isn't to say that there isn't laughter and spontaneity in God's kingdom or pattern. He doesn't promote stiff or prissy behavior. Having godly order in our lives and beauty in our lives helps us make time for the things that are truly important, winning souls, deepening our relationship with him, serving others, practicing hospitality. So when we're looking at the example of Betsy Ten Boom, it doesn't mean we're supposed to make our homes or our apartments or our dorm rooms look like magazine covers or Pinterest posts in order to reflect God's beauty and order and hospitality. It just means that we should look around at the ways that we can honor God's priorities in our daily lives, in our surroundings, and how we can reflect the nature of Christ. And every time I feel like my circumstances are less than ideal, I always think back to that example of Betsy creating beauty and welcome and hospitality, even in a prison cell. Another aspect of Betsy's life that I think so defines who she is, is that she saw life and she saw other people through heaven's lens, probably more than any other woman that I've ever studied in Christian history. She had such a heavenly perspective in every situation, even towards people who were very difficult to love and even towards circumstances where it was very hard to see God at work. There was one example that happened before she and Corey were arrested and put in prison. They were living in their home. This was during the time when the Nazis were taking over Holland, and there was a lot of fighting and a lot of bombs going off in the city where they lived. And this one night, 
as Corey was laying in bed, she was just tossing and turning because of the sound of the fighting and the bombs and the gunfire outside her window. And she couldn't sleep, so she got up and went downstairs to make a cup of tea and just kind of prayed and tried to reset. And then when she went back upstairs, she saw right where she had been laying that shrapnel had come through her window and hit the bed, the pillow, right where she had been laying. If she had stayed in bed, she certainly would have been killed. And she told Betsy later, if I had not gotten up to make that cup of tea, I wouldn't be here today. And Betsy's response was, there are no ifs in God's kingdom. And so she knew the way that she looked at that story is God supernaturally protected Corey right at the moment that she needed protection because Corey had a calling on her life. Later, when Betsy and Corey were in a very horrific situation in a German concentration camp, the way that Betsy processed and looked at the abuse and the torture and the suffering happening all around her was just so heavenly versus earthly. There was one story that Corey shared in the book, The Hiding Place, where a very horrible, cruel, abusive prison guard was beating a girl that they called a feeble-minded girl, I'm assuming just mentally, developmentally delayed type of person, and she couldn't keep up with what the guards wanted her to do. And so the guard was just, was mercilessly just beating her and screaming at her and attacking her. And Corey was just so heartbroken by watching this girl be so abused at the hands of this cruel guard. And she said to her sister, Betsy, what can we do for these people afterward? I mean, can we make a home for them and care for them and love them? And Betsy's response was this, Corey, I pray every day that we will be allowed to do this to show them that love is greater. And then Corey said this, it wasn't until later when I was gathering twigs in the morning that I realized I had been thinking of the feeble-minded and Betsy of their persecutors. So as Corey is seeing the victim and having a heart for the victim, Betsy sees the victim, but she also sees the persecutor as someone who needs to understand God's love. And she's praying every day that she will have the opportunity after the war to invest God's love into the most cruel prison guards who have been trained to hate. And most women in that prison didn't think that way toward their persecutors. It's not the natural way that we think towards those who are being cruel and abusive and don't deserve God's mercy and love. And yet Betsy had such a heart of compassion for them. They had been trained in hate and she wanted to show them that love was greater. This is another conversation that is recorded in The Hiding Place where they're referring to one of the most cruel guards. She said, Corey, if these people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. We must find a way, you and I, no matter how long it takes. And Corey said she went on almost forgetting in her excitement to keep her voice to a whisper, while I slowly took in the fact that she was talking about our guards, not the ones who were being abused, but the guards. I glanced at the matron seated at the desk ahead of us. I saw a gray uniform and a visored hat. Betsy saw a wounded human being. And I wondered again what sort of person she was, this sister of mine, what kind of road she followed while I trudged beside her on the all-too-solid earth." We can choose to approach life and circumstances with heaven's lens or with an earthly lens. And it's very normal and natural and human to look through an earthly perspective. But when we submit our perspective and our mind and our heart and our thoughts to Jesus, he replaces our thoughts with his thoughts. He replaces our earthly perspective with his heavenly perspective. And he did that for Betsy and eventually for Corey as well. 
they were having a conversation in the concentration camp about the man who betrayed their family to the Nazis in the first place. And when Corey was in prison, she found out that man's name. He had come to the house when they were hiding Jews and pretended to be someone in need, and she had helped him. And that led to the arrest of her entire family and the death of some of her family members. And so this man had really wronged and betrayed their family. And she found out his name. It was Jan Vogel. And when she heard that name, she said, flames of fire seemed to leap around that name in my heart. I thought of my father's final hours alone in a hospital corridor, of the underground work that was so abruptly halted, and I knew if Jan Vogel stood in front of me now, I could kill him. Very normal human reaction to someone who had so wronged them. But as she was processing this, Betsy drew a little cloth bag out from beneath her overalls and held it out to Corey, but Corey shook her head because they were leading Bible studies every night, but Corey was so distracted by finding out the name of the man who betrayed her family and her hatred for that man, she couldn't lead a Bible study. She said, Betsy kept the Bible during the day since she had more chance to read and teach it than I did at the factory. In the evenings, we held quiet prayer meetings for as many as could crowd around our bunk. You lead the prayers tonight, Betsy, Corey said. I have a headache, more than a headache. All of me ached with the violence of my feelings about the man who had done us so much harm. That night, I did not sleep, and the next day at my bench, I scarcely heard the conversation around me. By the end of the week, I worked myself into such a sickness of body and spirit that Mr. Mormon stopped at my bench to ask if there was something wrong. Wrong? Yes, something's wrong. I was only too eager to tell Mr. Mormon and all Holland about how Jan Vogel had betrayed his country. What puzzled me was Betsy. She suffered everything I suffered, and yet she seemed to carry no rage. Betsy, I hissed, one dark night when I knew my restless tossing must be keeping her awake. Three of us now shared this single cot as the crowded camp daily received new arrivals. Betsy, don't you feel anything about Jan Vogel? Oh yes, Corey, terribly. I felt for him ever since I knew, and pray for him whenever his name comes to mind, how he must be suffering. For a long time I lay silent, Corey said. Once again I had the feeling that the sister whom I had spent all my life with belonged somehow to another order of beings. Wasn't she telling me in her own gentle way that I was as guilty as Jan Vogel? For I had murdered him with my heart and with my tongue. Lord Jesus, I whispered, I forgive Jan Vogel as I pray you will forgive me. I have done him great damage. Bless him now and his family. That night, for the first time since our betrayer had a name, I slept deep and dreamlessly. Just that amazing example of how Betsy responded when she found out the name of the man who had betrayed her family is really astounding. There is no earthly or humanly way to look at our enemies the way Betsy looked at that man. It is only the life of Christ shining through us, enabling us to have thoughts and feelings and actions that are heavenly versus earthly. Only Christ can do that. It is a work of grace within our soul. As she said, happiness is not something that depends on our circumstances. It's something we make inside ourselves. And how do we make that? By yielding fully to the work of Christ within us. This is another quote about Betsy from The Hiding Place. Wherever she was, at work, in the food line, the dormitory, Betsy spoke to those around her about Jesus' nearness and his yearning to come into their lives. As her body grew weaker, her faith seemed to grow bolder. She was wasting away in the concentration camp. She was very frail, very sickly. And one day a prison guard was beating her because she couldn't work fast enough. And Corey wanted to rush at the prison guard and beat the prison guard. But Betsy stopped her and said, 
don't look at the blood, only look at Jesus. That is how Betsy lived those last months of her life, only looking at Jesus. There was one time when Corey said to Betsy, how can we live in such a place? There was death and cruelty all around them. And Betsy immediately said, Father, show us how. It was like there wasn't really a difference between praying and everyday life. Every moment for Betsy was a continual prayer for heavenly grace and wisdom. Corey wrote, more and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. And then, of course, there's that story that Eric and I have both shared many times where they were in this filthy barracks that was overcrowded, full of suffering women, and was infested with fleas. And Corey said, there is no way I can live here. I don't know how to handle these fleas. And Betsy said, we need to give thanks for them. And she talked Corey into that that submission of saying, Lord, we give thanks in all circumstances. And Corey was like, God can't even make me thankful for a flea, but they chose to do it out of obedience. And then later they found out that the reason they were able to hold their nightly Bible studies was because the guards would not come into their barracks because it was so infested with fleas. God even uses those things in our lives for good when we rejoice, when we thank him for them. Betsy had a vision when she was in prison about telling people that love is greater than hate. And after the war, she had this desire to start a home for people who had been wounded by the hatred of war and pour God's love into them. And she was so intent on this vision, even as she was dying. And this is how Corey described the last few days and hours of her life. They placed the stretcher on the floor and I leaned down to make out Betsy's words. She said, we must tell people what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that his love is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. Betsy turned towards Corey, struggling to mouth something. Corey could only make out some of it, a phrase that turned out to be Betsy's last known words. We have so much work to do. And then she went to be with Jesus. When Corey went to see her the next day, she really hesitated to look at her sister knowing she was dead because the pain was so great. This had been like her best friend, her closest companion, and she didn't know how she could go on without her. As far as Corey knew, she would be in that prison for many years of her life. As it turned out, she was actually released a few weeks later through a clerical error. But when she went to go see Betsy, it was really amazing because she described it this way. There she lay, her eyes closed as if in sleep, her face full and young. The deep hollows of hunger and disease were simply gone. In front of me was the Betsy of Harlem, which is the city where they grew up, happy and at peace, strong and free. This was the Betsy of heaven bursting with joy and health. I love how God blessed Betsy, even in the way that she passed away. She was in the most horrific of circumstances, a place you would never want to die. And yet it was obvious that she was at peace, that she was in heaven with her beloved Savior. And that Corey was able to see that brought her tremendous peace and joy in losing Betsy. And Betsy had this vision of a very specific house where people would come after the war and be ministered to. And Corey wondered, how is that vision going to be realized now that Betsy is dead? She was released from prison a few weeks later through an error. And over the next few years, she began to take Betsy's message of forgiveness and love all around the world. And at one point, 
someone donated a house to her where she could have people come that needed to be healed from the pain and heartache of war. And as she walked through the house, she realized it was almost exactly the way Betsy had described the house in her vision. So God finishes what he starts. God gave Betsy a heavenly perspective, the ability to see through heaven's lens versus an earthly lens. And because she lived that out so faithfully, that message of love and forgiveness and childlike faith and trust and just patience through her incredible suffering, her message actually went on through Corey to impact the entire world. Betsy's example in all of these stories puts me to shame time and time again. And yet I realize that her example of seeing through a heavenly lens of childlike faith of forgiveness and of love is not something I have to rise up to in my own strength. It's something that we can surrender to. It's a work that Christ does in us. It's the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. There's a verse in Revelation where Jesus is describing the lukewarm church, and he's giving a cure for their lukewarmness. And one of the cure points he says is, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. When we allow God to touch our eyes, we start to see what he sees and the way that he sees. We can see people like Jan Vogel, who betrayed the Ten Boom family with a heavenly lens, a lens of forgiveness and hope. We can see those prison guards through a lens of forgiveness and hope. We can see even a dismal, horrible prison cell as a place of welcome and hospitality when God touches our eyes. And probably the most practical piece of advice I think we could take from Betsy's example is to simply pray that prayer, Lord, anoint my eyes with your eyes have that I may see what you see, that I may see with a heavenly perspective and live according to a heavenly perspective. May we ask God to touch our eyes that we can see what he sees just like Betsy did. And God through us in our own unique circumstances will begin to touch the world around us just as he did through Betsy. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to learn more about Betsy Ten Boom's life, I highly recommend the book, The Hiding Place and the book, Tramp for the Lord by Corey Ten Boom. She talks a lot about her sister, Betsy, in both of those books. And I'm challenged every single time I read those stories. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a Christ-centered life, I invite you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-focused week.